Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Lockdown Cavaliers. Uh, this is just a little intro today for our special crossover show. Uh, later on, you'll be hearing from myself and Sean Hyken, the host of Lockdown Bulls, or a co-host of Lockdown Bulls, rather, as he co-hosts the show with Cody Westerlin. Um, it's uh, part of our preview crossover week. We did one with Jared Dubin. Uh, we did one with Bradley Rowland, and we're going to do one later this week with Jay King from Lockdown Celtics, and we're going to do another one with Dan Feldman of Lockdown Pistons. I'm really excited about these crossover shows. They've been a lot of fun. It's fun to talk about other teams, and we're really getting closer to the NBA and getting closer to things getting going again. It's a very exciting time, and it's a really, really fun week for the show. It's maybe the most fun week I've had hosting the show, and uh, we've been getting a lot of listens and getting a lot of really good feedback, so that's pretty great, too. Uh, just real quick before we get into it with Sean, uh, this show is brought to you by SeatGeek. Uh, SeatGeek is the best way for you to buy and sell tickets off right off your mobile phone. You can get it on the App Store, you can get it on Google Play, you can get it on wherever you get your apps for your smartphone. Uh, you can check all the ticket prices right on the app. You can see what are good deals, what are bad deals. You can see exactly uh, what your view is like from your seat. There is nothing about SeatGeek that will leave you wondering what your tickets are like what the price is going to be and how much you're actually going to pay. There are no hidden fees like there are with other apps. Again, it's easy, really easy to use. It's free, and you will be able to check out any sort of event that you want to see, whether it's a sporting event or a concert myself. Right now I'm getting Browns tickets because I apparently want to be sad on Sunday, and I'm getting Browns tickets for Browns home opener against the Ravens. I'm getting a good deal, and my listeners can also get a great deal on the first SeatGeek purchase by using the code LOCAVS and entering that under the settings tab in the app. So that code is LOCAVS, L-O-C-A-V-S. It's $20 off your first purchase using SeatGeek. And again, it's the best way for you to get tickets for the, your next sporting event or your next concert that you may go to. I guarantee you won't regret it. And again, my listeners can save $20 with the code LOCAVS. So now we're going to get into the show today with Sean Hyken from Locked on Bulls. I hope you guys enjoy. And we'll talk to you tomorrow when Jay King from Locked on Celtics joins the show. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, welcome to a Locked On Podcast Network crossover episode. I'm Sean Hyken, co-host of Locked On Bulls. With me today, Chris Manning, uh, host of Locked On Cavaliers. We're going to talk a little Cavs, little uh, Bulls, little Central Division. Uh, it's gonna, it's going to be interesting. These are kind of two of the more interesting teams in the division, and certainly for different reasons, Chris. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, they're, they've been playoff opponents before. Um, I think uh-huh. there's definitely a rivalry there. There's even a dislike there, even if some of the guys from those Thibodeau Bulls teams that didn't really get along with LeBron are gone. But uh, I, I think there's something there still, and I think there's there are two teams that they're gonna and they're gonna just play each other so many times and maybe have some funky outcomes and I think it's gonna kind of be interesting to see how they match up even if it's not the way uh, we might have expected it to be last year or the year before. Right, and then there's also the LeBron and Wade uh, dynamic too. Those guys are obviously very good friends. They won two titles together in Miami. And then since then, you know, they've been on different teams, and now they're in the same division, so they're going to play each other four times a year. Yeah, I was kind of surprised, to be honest, that that wasn't, like, I know the Cavs-Warriors is just such a big thing, but I, I kind of right. wasn't surprised, I was kind of was surprised, rather, that that wasn't, like, a Christmas game or something, just because it's just a showcase game, and it would have been a little, uh, just kind of fun, but also, Cavs, I mean, Cavs-Warriors is obviously great, and in Cleveland, it's pretty great. Uh, because it means I get to it means I get to cover it instead of having to watch it on my TV. But 
it just it's going to be weird to see Wade in that Bulls uniform and weird seeing them interact when it's not Wade with the Heat or them together or anything like it's just it's going to be a, a new twist on that rivalry uh, and the friendship because even because I think they they would both admit that even though they're really good friends and like LeBron orders him dinner and knows what to order him for dinner better right. than his wife um, <laughs> like there's still like a competitiveness there and I don't think Wade would be happy if the Cavs beat the Bulls all four times this upcoming season. No, I think you're right, and it, honestly, it's st- as someone who covers the Bulls, it's still a little bit weird that Wade is here, because when, you know, in the first week of July, when, you know, you started hearing Wade was at, at odds with the Heat front office about uh, their contract talks, and he was going to go out and talk to other teams, I my first reaction, and I'm sure this was probably yours, and it was pretty much everybody's that I talked to, everybody's reaction was, yeah, okay, that's that's cute. He's going to go out and try to talk to other teams to get leverage. He's going to end up back in Miami. I didn't realize it was actually going to be him really leaving to go to a different team, let alone the one that I cover, uh, until, you know, until it, basically, even after it was reported that it was going to happen, the press conference wasn't until the end of July, and when I was I was there and I saw him hold up the number three Bulls jersey, and I was just like, okay, this is actually happening. Yeah, I was I was the same way. I mean, I remember uh, the day the NBA store Twitter account tweeted out the jerseys, and I was like, that's not real. Right, like, that's Photoshop. That, that is like clearly a Photoshop. Uh, and uh, this is weird that the, it's it's. I think it's not even going to set in until maybe the first, not even the first game, but maybe when he actually plays the Heat, and it's like, oh, it's really. Uh, Wade in Miami or something, and he's not wearing the the Heat jersey, and that's that's it's right. When so, they do the video tribute, yeah. and that comes pretty early in the season. I believe November tenth is the first game that he's going to play against the Heat. That's I think that's the only time they they play in Chicago twice. They only play in Miami that one time. Yeah, I wonder what it's going to be like to when he goes back, just because uh, it doesn't seem like it's the the most friendly relationship. Uh, it doesn't seem like him and Riley are on exactly the best terms. Uh, after leaving, so I, I, it'll be interesting to see how he goes back. Because you think the fans would receive him really well? Oh yeah. Well, but I think it's it's a little bit. I mean, there's clearly there's still a little bit of you know tension with the organization. But if you look at like the op- like after he signed with the Bulls, Mickey Arison wrote this big open letter thanking him, and then they had like Dwayne Wade Day in Miami, and he was writing that like like Mickey Arison's like post on the website was that, you know, one day we're going to retire his number three Jersey at American airlines arena. Like clearly I think that this is not like a typical, uh, you know, superstar leaves a team that he's been with for so long. And, 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 you know, the fans boo him. I think the heat fans are not mad at Wade. At least the ones I've talked to are not mad at Wade for leaving. They're mad at the organization for letting him leave. Basically. I think, I think most of the fans. Yeah. And I think that's the pretty rational, fair opinion. Uh, just because it did seem very much like Wade wanted to be back, and yeah, he had and he had every right to go get leverage. I mean, he had every right to use a team like the Nuggets to try to drive his price up. Um, See, that was the part that was interesting to me was because the Chicago thing makes sense oh, makes all, on some level yeah. because he's from he's from this area. His mother is a pastor in Chicago. She's a really big part of this community here. He has ties here. He talked pretty seriously with the Heat in 2000, or with the Bulls in 2010, when the him and LeBron and Bosh all signed in Miami. They were, you know, Chicago was one of the teams that was kind of considered the front runner to get one of those guys. They had some familiarity with each other. As soon as, you know, when it came, like, when he was talking to, you know, these other teams, I was like, okay, you know, I could see Chicago on the off chance he does leave. I could even see New York just because Carmelo's there and that's his boy and, like, like I, it, like it, it would make it would make a little bit of sense, but like 
And even, honestly, even Milwaukee, just because he played at Marquette, but when, like, Denver was in there, it's like, there's no way. Yeah, it was so clearly, like, uh, I'm going to use this team as leverage to make it seem like I'm going to leave, and they can pay me all this money, and, like, what, you should pay me this money and stuff. But, I mean, uh, him and Denver, I guess, would have been even, like, like bizarro world NBA signing is just I just I just can't like picture him really still in a Bulls uniform I just can't even imagine like watching him play with Moody and Jokic and like Gary Harris like I just in my head that just it just seems so bonkers that was even like for a second out there I would like love to have been a fly on the wall in that meeting maybe more than I mean obviously we'd all want to be in on the KD the pitches and stuff although we've heard enough about them but to be like on the the fly on the wall and just sit in and watch the the Nuggets D Wade meeting I just I would love to know what they talked about because he even well apparently Mike Miller was a big uh, part of their recruiting Mike base, yeah, that's, they're boys, that's a yeah guy that they're boys everybody well I mean everybody love I mean yeah, obviously I'm sure you read the Jonathan Abrams profile about Mike Miller from a couple of years ago yeah. with Grantland he is like the most beloved teammate basically in the history of the NBA he and LeBron are still close he yeah. went to Cleveland with him when LeBron went back he was in Miami with them for both of their two titles. Yeah, him and James Jones could probably get bust in the Hall of Fame just for being really good humans and teammates. Because like no one, no yeah. one ever says a bad thing about either of those guys. Right? Yeah. No. Exactly. And then you kind of see that with James. James Jones came back, didn't he? Yeah, he's uh, he's back. He's like making the veterans a minimum. Uh, he's he. I literally think as long as LeBron can convince him to just be in the locker room, and like he feels like he he doesn't have anything better to do, he's just going to come back because. Literally, sure, collect yeah. this 900k a year and like guarantee yeah. you know go to the finals yeah. every year for the next five yeah. years or whatever. Yeah, and like every literally everyone on that team loves him. Like, I mean, he's literally the only guy that uh, Kevin Love has like Instagrammed about, which is like a really dumb thing to mention. But like Kevin, no, that's not well, a dumb yeah, thing to yeah. mention considering how big of yeah. a factor that is with the Cavs. Like every single thing with the, with Kevin Love's Instagram is like every single one of like until they won the championship, because obviously now that all a lot of stuff kind of goes away now that they won the title, especially when Love had that huge defensive play against Steph Curry yeah. in Game 7. <laughs> but before that, like, every single, like, so do you remember a couple, like, a week ago, LeBron did post the Instagram video of himself, like, singing happy birthday to, like, a Sports Illustrated cover of Kevin Love from when he was at UCLA, and it was really bad, like, off-key And he did the Simpsons laugh. Uh, right, right, yeah. right. And so, and so, uh, if they hadn't won the title, that would totally be like that would have been a whole week of oh well was he subtweeting Kevin Love was he making fun of him like why couldn't he just like call the and say it to his face if he was just making fun of that UCLA picture uh, does not mean he's going to get traded but obviously that's all kind <laughs> yeah, of out yeah, the window yeah. it seems it seems pretty clear that the Cavs are going to just run this group back which I think is the safe thing to do if you're. Uh, David Griffin, because I, I, I still have questions about whether Kevin Love is a great fit for them long term. But if you're David Griffin, what you do is, that, you know, if, if you if you trade Kevin Love or you trade somebody else, like one of the other like main guys from this team that just won the t- franchise's first title ever, the first title in uh, for a Cleveland team in 50-whatever years that, they, that it was, then it's, and then they don't win the title, it's, oh, well, they could have... Uh, won the title if he had just kept the same group together if they keep the group together and they don't win the title as well at least they gave this group another shot now we can try something else yeah it's uh, they would have almost been in a similar position uh, as like the Clippers are where it's like we just wonder how many times they run that group back when there's not really any changes right. I mean the Clippers have added they got they got more buckets which is just wonderful for so many reasons but uh I actually really I like did what too. the Clippers I did too did. and I, I, I know we say this every year with some of these guys the Clippers signed but 
I mean, Brandon Bass is solid. Allen Anderson, if he can stay healthy, is pretty solid. I don't think Raymond Felton is. Oh no, not at all. He actually had a pretty solid. He had a pretty solid year for the Mavericks last year, so he's actually, you know, for a minimum as your third point guard behind Chris Paul and Austin Rivers, like that's not terrible, I guess. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's just like. It's just like you know exactly what you're getting out of that team. Like they're gonna have a really, they're probably gonna have below average production from small forward because Luke Rabam, Mutes, uh, their pencil in starter, Wesley Johnson or something. And but with like the Cavs, winning sort of erases a lot of doubt. And then like the Warriors, then getting Durant puts like it doesn't really takes a lot of the pressure off of them to actually have to go out right. and defend it next year. It's like if they win next year, it's another upset for LeBron. It's another thing where they overcame all this adversity. And if they had lost and then the Warriors get Durant, well, they're probably getting buried and maybe Kevin Love is the reactionary guy you just try to trade for something. But And I kind of agree with you about the long-term thing because I think they have to figure it. Either, they either have to decide to make him a more organic part of the offense or they just have to uh, maybe move him in a year or something like that if, if they think that's the way to go, I guess. But it's going to be interesting to see how they sort of adapt this year just because it isn't it's sort of the same team but it's kind of not because there are i think some little subtle differences that are uh, going to play themselves out over well, like the 41 games well the biggest one is Sasha Kondra oh yeah I, th- I don't know how i don't know how they're going to be able to fill that yeah i don't i really don't know either you lose an nba champion an NCAA champion like Sasha Khan who you know played such a big role i don't know how you replace a guy like that so what's gonna happen? When is Jr. gonna sign his deal? Because he's gonna be back at some point. It seems like that's what both sides want. They want him back. He wants to be back. Like he's a Rich Paul guy, so obviously Rich Paul showed with the Tristan Thompson uh, situation last year and with the Eric Bledsoe situation in Phoenix a couple of years ago that he's not afraid to drag it out to get his guy the deal he wants. What do, do you think? I mean, we've got a little under two weeks to go before camp starts. Do you think JR is going to be signed before camp, or do you think it's going to drag out into camp like Tristan did? I'm going to guess into camp, but I only say that because I look at some of the clues that have been dropped. There has been so little news about this that there's just not a paper trail right. to follow. Mark Stein was really the first one about a week ago to put a figure on it at 13 to 14 million, and other than that, there's been nothing. Uh, we know there aren't. I and I also feel like if he was going to sign somewhere else. It would have already happened. Like if a team would have well, gonna nobody else has right. nobody else has cap space left to give him the kind of deal. That well, he has I mean, like a team like the Sixers or something, I think has the money. But like, yeah, but what, like, what the yeah. Hell are the no, I mean, but the, yeah, that's the point. Like, I mean, well, I mean, I would pay for the JR to watch the J.R. Smith Joel Embiid reality show. Oh no, it'd be awesome! Yeah. But yeah, I just, yeah, like, yeah. It just especially if I, that might be the kind of thing Sam Hinkie would have done, just to be like, hey, why yeah. not? Let's see if this works. Yeah. But that's just that's not the kind of thing I think that the Colangelo's would do. I think Denver might still have the yeah they do to do it. But they also like they also are not a team that would really have any use for Jr. Smith. Really, the only thing that would make sense is for him to go back. It makes sense for him because he's comfortable there. He gets to play with LeBron. They just won a title. He knows what his role is there, and it makes sense for them because they know what they're getting out of him basically. And it seems like I hate to use this word because it's such a cliche, but it seems like he has he genuinely has matured and really grown into accepting the role that he's had the last couple of years since he's been there. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think he just, the guys in the Cavs locker room just love him. Um, they support yeah. him. Like, LeBron has his back. And I think if you're a guy like with JR, we've just, we saw it in New York. We've seen it everywhere that he's played. You just have to believe in him and you get more out of him. Um, and he just fits so well as just a guy who's just going to shoot and play decent defense. Um, I mean, I just, I just want to know what the ultimately he's going to get because I think both sides have leverage. Like, JR can say... You can't replace me. Pay me this. The Cavs can say, well, no one wants to sign you. We'll pay you a little bit less. And I want to know how long it's going to be because he is 31. It's not. I don't know if giving JR a three-year deal at $15 million a year or something would be the most prudent thing. 
But I also... But you have to Yeah, I know. It. Like, That's like, the thing. It's like, you might just have to just pony up. Uh, they're already going to save money on the tax anyway, so tax money anyway, so it's not like it's going to be as expensive as it would have been a year ago. And so maybe just do like it. It's like a much shorter... It's like a much, you know, smaller stakes version of... You know, after, you know, on the first couple of days of free agency, there was some concern trolling about the Mike Conley contract that Memphis got. It's like, is that going to be the greatest deal in the world in three years? No, but you got to do it. Yeah. You got to keep your Exactly. I 100% agree. And I mean, and without GR, like you look at the Cavs' wing situation, uh, I'm not a big Amon Shumper guy for a lot of reasons. Like, I think he, he has the potential to be something, but he just hasn't shown it. And I wonder if he ever will in a meaningful way. And I know he's been hurt. Um, Mike Dunleavy, who obviously, you know, you covered in Chicago last year, uh, is coming off a back That's injury. That's right. Mike Dunleavy's on the Cavs and now. Yeah. Me. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he could be really, really good. But it's, you know, is his back good enough to let him be able to play over, you know, over 100 games or whatever it'll end up being with the playoffs in the regular season? Uh, can Richard Jefferson recreate that magic? And he was already better as a small ball all four um then you get into can is mo williams gonna actually play um is k felder able to play is the he rookie? gonna retire is mo williams gonna retire because i read a couple weeks ago that he was thinking about retiring because he yeah. just kept having knee problems i kind of think he will but uh just by everything i've read and just kind of just wouldn't would make sense because i mean last year when he was hurt it was literally because his knees were just worn down from playing basketball for yeah. 30 years of his life because he's just old like and he's not even like old old he's just like played a lot of minutes and he's just been worn down and it's sort of weird because I think if I I feel more confident in saying that he's going to retire, or I would have about two weeks ago when they could have stretched him out, but they didn't do that. And I wonder now if they think, oh, he's going to come back because even if you are saving money on the tax, eating that money isn't really a great thing, especially if you have to go out and try to sign someone like Chalmers or Norris Cole or something like that. If you don't feel Kay Felder's the option from the the start of the season. Right. Now, as far as the Dunleavy stuff goes, I mean, I, I honestly forgot that he was on the team. Like, <laughs> that's just how crazy this offseason has been. Like, you, you you brought that up, and I was just like, oh, that's right. They did dump uh, Mike Dunleavy to the Cavs to make room to get to do the Dwayne Wade deal. But Dunleavy, when he's healthy, is just, he's really solid. He's a good. He's not, like, a great individual, like, lockdown defender. But he, again, to use a, a cliche, you know, term for a veteran defender, he knows where to be. He's a good three-point shooter. Like, he's... You know, the, the Bulls, like, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I posted a whole bunch of them and looked at a whole bunch of them when he had his back surgery before camp last year. The Bulls were such a better team with him than they were without him. And if he's healthy, that, you know, he's going to be a good contributor for the Cavs. It's just a matter of, again, he's in his upper 30s. I think he's 35 or 36 right now. You just, you don't know how healthy he's going to be, especially with a guy who had back surgery at that age. That's always a little bit worrying. But if he's healthy, I think he's actually going to be a good piece. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a perfect guy to play next to LeBron, right? I mean, he hits threes, and he doesn't need to dribble the ball at all. LeBron can run pick and rolls with Channing Fry, and he's going to have two shooters, two knockdown shooters just waiting for him on bench units. Um, And he, I think he and Jefferson are sort of these inverse uh, players that are going to be insurance for each other because... If at least one of them can play, that's a huge, huge get, and it gives them a little bench depth that I think they're going to need, especially because, again, you don't have Delhi, so you have to figure out something at point guard, figure out some shooting on the floor, and B, uh, Shumpert had, wasn't great last year, he wasn't good, and he has to kind of be a, a little bit better, at least on offense, to kind of be effective, uh, I think, just because he was not a good shooter last year, he was... Teams were just not paying attention to him, and if Dunleavy's on the floor, especially if he's able to play some defense and move a little bit and just hit shots, he makes that 
less of a problem. Like he he's a sneaky big part of what the Cavs are going to do this year. I think. I and it's a guy LeBron has wanted to play with a long time. Two summers ago, when he went back to the Bulls, LeBron tried to recruit him, and it didn't work because he wanted to stay in Chicago. Right, and uh, I mean, so, how, so by, also by the way, how are like who's going to be the backup one now with Delhi gone? Um, I mean, if Williams plays, I think he'll get the first shot. Uh, I think Kay Felder, they're very high on him from everyone I've talked so to. So they're going to let a rookie be the backup point guard right away. Well, I mean, I, see, I, I have, I'm of a couple mind of this because I don't watch a ton of college basketball because I think aesthetic. I don't either. It, I don't either. I'm the wrong guy no. to give you a Kay Felder scouting report. It's just, yeah. you know, for the defending champions yeah. to have, especially a guy with, yeah, I agree. Again, you know, I, I, with the injury history that Kyrie has had, I mean, he's... He, you don't know that you're going to get 82 games out of him. No, and you're right. And I mean, and every, it's funny because I'm the same game as you. So everyone I've talked to this week that is, uh, so Brad Rowan from Locked on Hawks and Dan Feldman from yeah. Locked on Pistons, sure. they've been like, oh, I love Kay Felder. And like, and everyone I know that watches college basketball is like, Kay Felder's awesome. And I talked to his college coach. Right, but there's yeah, right, like, an awesome, awesome for like a college player who's you know, a yeah, second round prospect yeah. who could be good someday or awesome for like yeah. ready to contribute right now on a team that has literally championship expectations. No, and exactly. And I mean I watched him in uh I watched him in Summer League. He was not hitting shots off the ball in the way that that Delhi did last year and what made Delhi so effective was that he was a shooter and not really a traditional one. I think I think it could be Felder. I kind of hope it's not because I think I'd rather him get to play in Canton and just kind of develop a little bit. Um but if you're the Cavs, I also think they realize that their competition in the East at least theoretically means they don't have to really gear up as much. and they, they can play the long game. They can develop Felder over the course of the year, and then maybe he's ready by the playoffs to do more. That's a little bit risky. Um, I, and I also think on bench units, I think there's a chance to see Shump as a nominal one with LeBron doing more and more ball handling and Shump uh, just kind of defending ones and just at least slotting in at that spot, even if he's not really playing point guard. Right, and so that's that's honestly sort of I don't I don't hate the idea of Shump as a one. He did that a little bit early on in his career when he was in New York, and it was it worked reasonably well before the knee injury his rookie year. But it's it's sort of like kind of what the Bulls have as far as their guard situation. Obviously, Rondo is going to be their primary point guard because he doesn't really a threat to score, so he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, setting guys up. But Jimmy Butler can handle the ball. Dwayne Wade can handle the ball. Even some of the other guys on the uh, like Denzel Valentine, he can he. In college, he was a big ball handler. He's mostly probably going to play the two and the three, but they have a lot of options to do that. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm very intrigued to see how the Rondo thing works just because he, the peak Rondo was very good. The Rondo we've had the past couple of years has not. and is, Well, since, since the, it's since the knee Yeah, really since the knee injury, and I think uh, I think a little bit the way he plays – with the knee in conjunction with an injury just hasn't really served him well as the league speeds up a little bit and he needs to just be a little bit less uh a little bit less reliant on dribbling the ball a bunch at the top of the key uh like he just, he does like to pound the ball and he does like to just kind of wait and watch things develop and point around and stuff and he's really good at it and it worked with those celtics but it doesn't work anymore i kind of want to see how much wade is kind of lead the lead ball handler a lot because i think he could be a killer in that role um i think the most fun thing for Wade would have him to be, and I'm saying this selfishly because I think it would have been nuts to see him like spurn uh, Riley to play with LeBron or something. But like him as like a just a lead guard, just kind of killing opposing teams, I think could be really really fun. But I also wonder how much he gets to do that when he's playing with ball dominant guys. And I also would like to see Jimmy Butler just try to do more because I think it'd be good for him as he gets closer to his prime. It, it probably enters his prime this year to really get a chance to do that and maybe take that bigger step and maybe that results in him being an even better offensive player than we've seen. 
Well, Jimmy wanted to handle the ball a lot more last year. It was just kind of weird because they had him and Derek, and they both kind of need to have the ball in their hands. And that was why kind of what the Bulls did this offseason was so bizarre because once they traded Derek, then it was like, okay, they're going to – you know, really just give the team over to Jimmy and, you know, he's really going to get to run the show and it's going to be his team, like, without a doubt. And then they go and sign Rondo and Wade. That's, like, two other guys that need to have the ball in their hand and it's going to create the exact same set of problems, like, who gets the shots, who gets the touches, who gets to be the one to initiate the offense. And I guess, again, by default, it's going to be Rondo because Rondo's useless when he plays off the ball. Yeah, I mean, and teams would just uh, not respect him at all if he's spotting up for threes or whatever. Even though he shot, what did he shoot, 36% last year, and then he shot 35% uh, from three the the half season that he was in Dallas. So it's been trending well, but he's been a terrible three-point shooter his whole career. So, you know, I feel like I'm going to trust the eight years where he was a terrible three-point shooter versus the one and a half where he was league average. Yeah, I'm with you. And so, I mean, the, and the, I think the bigger question with all of this for me with the Bulls is Hoiberg obviously is a guy that was put into a situation to succeed Thibs and win right away. That is obviously not, uh, that has sort of changed, at least from the outside that has changed. And he's also a guy that was supposed to be speedier and more motion friendly. Do you see him being able to do that at all with this roster and this construction? I think the hope is that with a different roster, they'll be able to do more of what Fred wants to do. Last year was kind of a weird situation because they brought in a new coach who was, wanting to play an up-tempo offensive style, but they literally kept the exact same roster. I think just the two rookies, Bobby Portis and Cristiano Felicio, were the only two guys on the entire roster that weren't holdovers from the previous year. So they have a roster that was built around Tom Thibodeau's strengths. And, you know, maybe this was because management hated Tom so much that they just thought, okay, if we just bring in a coach that we do like, we can succeed with this same uh, roster, but it's just a different coach. But I was looking at it, really only five guys on the roster, and that's uh, Jimmy Butler, Doug McDermott, Nikola Mirotic, Taj Gibson, and Tony Snell. Only five guys on this roster were, uh, were there when Thibodeau was there. So, like, it's going to be, it's pretty much a new roster. It's either, like, the guys that were on the team last year, besides those guys, are, were, you know, were new to the team last year, and that's Portis and Felicio. And then there's a bunch of guys who are new to the team entirely that you know fred you know the hope is that he'll be able to mold them a little bit more in his in what he wants to do because they're not so used to playing together for so many years playing a certain way and then suddenly having to play a different way yeah i think i think it's a pretty good way to put it and it's interesting that they have sort of moved on from so many of those tibbs guys relatively quickly um obviously some Taj gibson last man standing yeah honestly and i i kind of forgot that they hadn't moved on from just because i always felt like in my head like it made sense for them to maybe trade him and let some of those guys up front play a little bit. They still might. Yeah. If this season goes off the rails, I would not be shocked if they traded Taj to the dead. And you could probably... And that's a guy a lot of contenders can Oh, use. yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's not stretchy in the... I think in a lot... That is sort of in vogue as a four, but he's a good rebounder. He's a smart defender. Um, he can be really good in those type of smaller roles. And I, he's on a very affordable deal, especially under the new cap. Well, only for one more year. He's going to get paid. Yeah, that's summer. that's true. And I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd want to be the team that gives him his next contract because he's played through so many injuries. That's true. But he's also just, like, he is the most, you know, you talked about uh, James Jones being, like, the guy, the one guy that every single one of his teammates loves. Taj is that kind of guy in Chicago and has been for years. He's He doesn't complain. He doesn't complain about starting or coming off the bench. He plays through injuries. He'll, he was the biggest defender of Thibodeau after he got fired, but he was also the biggest defender of Fred last year. You know, he's very loyal. He's a team player. Like, he's every, every possible thing you could want in a teammate or a locker room guy. 
Taj is. He can play the four. He can play the five. He can defend. Like you said, he's not a stretch four by any means, but you know he can knock down like a twelve footer. Yeah, I mean, and just having a guy like that that teammates love, that teammates can respect, that is loyal and is going to help your locker room, that has so much value that it's just so hard to quantify. Uh, in yeah. terms of like you're looking at a box score, you're looking at basketball reference, and you're just you can't quantify that, and that has a lot of value. And I mean, if you look at the Cavs, you look at what they've said publicly. And what has sort of come out after the finals, I don't know if you caught this, but Channing Frye was literally, uh, when he got traded to the Cavs, he, there was these camps that had developed, and it's not really clear who was in what camp and whatnot, but he literally texted at the whole team and was like, let's go get dinner. And it was like the first time in months that it happened, and then you saw them hanging out. Because he's like, he's the, yeah. like, right, I, I yeah. remember this story too, but like, he's, he's the new guy, he doesn't know like who the cliques are and who hangs out with who, so he's just like, hey, uh, I just want to hang out with everybody. Yeah, and so then the team like sort of gels and they go to dinner all the time together and then they celebrated the finals together, and it seemed like they actually bonded in a way that you wouldn't have thought they maybe could considering everything we read and heard about the drama in that locker room for a year, and like, that stuff just matters, and... Uh, Taj uh, and, and Taj also in the bull with the Bulls this year. He can play a role, and he's going to help guys like Denzel Valentine and Bobby Portis keep growing and getting into the league and becoming the next generation of of Bulls. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's kind of the hope. But uh, real quick, like we're running a little bit long here, but just real quick, like outside of the two teams that we've spent this whole thing talking about, the Central Division. I want to talk about the Central Division as a whole a little bit because it's one that I think. The Central and the Northwest are the two most interesting divisions in the league to me. And because they're just, like, all five of the teams in the Central, I feel like, I mean, some of them are more long shots than others. I don't know if Milwaukee's a playoff team, but, like, you could talk me into there being a universe where they are. Indiana, I could see going either way. I really I really feel like Detroit might be the fourth best team in the East. I, I agree like with Cleveland you. Cleveland pretty clearly, and then... I think the next two in some order is probably Boston and Toronto. I really like Detroit as the next one. No, I do too. I mean, they were even though they got swept by the Cavs, they were very, very impressive to me in that first round. They played them tough. They did. Like they, I think they got blown out one game, but they played them tough for I think three of those four games in that first round. Yeah, and they were just very, very like energetic and not intimidated by what the Cavs were doing. I mean, Stanley Johnson literally was talking smack to LeBron. I love him. Yeah, he's awesome. Like he, he's only going to get better, and Drummond's probably only going to get better, and. Stan's such a good yeah. Coach. Oh, he and he's perfect for that team. And I mean, they got freaking Boban like to unleash now, which is just amazing. I actually really like the I, John Lewis. I do too for them too. But when you when you had kind of seen the rumors leading into free agency that they were maybe going to go after Ryan Anderson because he was a Stan guy from the Orlando days. When you consider Ryan Anderson's health history and the fact that he got twenty million a year from Houston, like getting John Luer, who basically does the same things and is younger and maybe not as good as peak Ryan Anderson, but doesn't have the health history and they got him for like half the amount of money that the Rockets got Ryan Anderson for I love that yeah and plus he's not uh quite as bad on defense as uh Ryan Anderson is the Pacers to me are also really interesting I don't think their ceiling's quite as high um and I really don't I have questions like I'm not really uh all in on the Nate McMillan thing just because he hasn't been head coach in a while and they Larry Bird wanted change quote-unquote but then he picked a guy who's on the staff and then Monta Ellis at shooting guard I'd like Monta Ellis like I will forever uh, be a fan, and I think he has his uses, but I'm not sure he's like. Oh, he have all. He have yeah. it all. So yeah, he does I mean, have it all. Uh, but it's like, is he the is he the right two guard for this team? It's like I would almost want to see CJ Miles playing with the starting lineup. I think they're going to roll with just because he actually can space the floor for Paul George and for Jeff Teague to attack the rim and for to not leave everything on Miles Turner's shoulders to kind of create more space for everybody. 
Well, the Pacers, uh, the, the Nate McMillan angle of it is interesting because I, I, uh, I'm from Portland originally, and, like, I grew up a Blazer fan, and I was there during, like, the whole time when Nate was there, you know, during, like, the Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge years, and they were really good those years. They had, you know, among the best offenses in the league in terms of efficiency, but they also had, like, I think for five years in a row, they had, like, the 29th or 30th, 30th fastest-paced offense in the league. And what Larry said when he let uh, Frank Vogel go, what Larry Bird said, was that he wanted to play faster. And so, I just like, it seemed like it didn't really make sense. But then I actually got a chance to talk to Paul George a little bit about this uh, this summer when the USA team came through Chicago as part of their exhibition tour before they went down to Rio I asked him, like, hey, so Larry said he wanted to play faster. Like, what do you think about the Nate McMillan hire? And then Paul George said, and I'm like, obviously this is what he's going to say because he's not going to say, yeah, I don't like this. Right. But, like, he said that uh, he thinks that Nate played that way because of the personnel that he had uh, in Portland at the time with, you know, Brandon Roy, who's kind of more of an isolation player, and, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, who at the time was, you know, trying to be more of a post-up guy. Uh, as, as you know, as opposed, as opposed to like he thinks that he's not so inflexible, that he's not going to be able to adapt uh, his you know his coaching philosophy to what the personnel is. So he seemed pretty optimistic that it's going to work. I really like you know obviously Paul George was for all the talk about his comeback this year during the Olympics, like obviously because the injury was the, was during a USA thing a couple of years ago. He was as good as he's ever been last yeah, year. Yeah, and I have it's and Miles Turner. Miles Turner is so good. He might be like. <clears throat> Outside of like obviously Porzingis and Towns, like the very top guys, he might he might be a top five rookie from last year's class, just from what we've seen already. Yeah, and I would agree. And with George, I almost think that this is the year he fully puts it all together, just because I think the first years he the first couple years he was good on those Indiana teams uh, with Lance and everything. He faded a little bit, and last year he fa- his numbers declined a little bit as the season went on in certain aspects, and he just looked and you tired. Could say okay, well that's just because he. Uh, was coming back from the injury, but then he was so good in Rio. Right, too. so I'm thinking he he gets the Olympic bounce. He's got a full year removed from the, the coming back from the leg injury. Uh, he can pace himself a little bit, and he has a pretty good supporting cast that he can lean on a little bit. I mean, Jeff Teague's very good. Uh, Miles Turner can definitely take on a bigger role, if especially if they want to push him in that way. And if they really need to on certain nights, I mean, they have Al Jefferson, who's going to struggle on defense, but they can throw the ball to him off the bench on certain nights and just let him go score inside against opposing teams. I'm I'm very very intrigued by Paul George. I wouldn't ever put money on him or bet on him to be an MVP this year, just because I have other picks. But I to me he's like a dark horse candidate to just be like very very good all year and be in that discussion like in fifth place or something yeah. like that. I don't disagree because how so how would you rank the five te- the, the the other four? Because obviously Cleveland is number one and they're on a completely different level from any of the other four teams. How would you rank the other four teams in the in the? Uh, Central. It's tough just because I have a I have a lot of questions about the the bottom three, but I go Cleveland obviously, like you said. I'd go Detroit two. Um, yeah, I lean Indiana three right now, uh, just because I think the upside there. You can there. talk me into Indy or Chicago. Yeah, at three or four. Yeah, and I would go Chicago four, and then I go the Bucks five, just because I'm not quite sure on them yet, and I think they're so young, and I almost don't know if I care if they're uh, at the bottom. Just like they, and they might be decent enough to still win a decent amount of games. I just think. When I look at them versus I look at Chicago, I at least think the Bulls have guys that know have won and know how to win, and the the Bucks are going to have some growing pains. Giannis is going to struggle as a point as point Giannis. Jabari is going to have to figure some things out as a three point shooter. Uh, the, You're gonna have to figure out what the hell they're gonna get out of Thon. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and then what do you get out of point guard? I mean, uh, I'm not a big Michael Carter Williams guy, and so is Delhi your best point guard uh, as a as a quasi two? Um, and 
you know, what do you do with Greg Monroe? I mean, there's these questions I have about them that I think they have to figure out. And at least the Bulls, they have Wade, they have Butler, they have a, they have Taj Gibson. I really love Bobby Portis. Right, they're like, guys yeah, are all more, all more, exactly. All more, you can no depend more, on them, more, and I can't geez. depend on the Bucks. I would tend to agree with that. So, I mean, yeah, this is going to be a real interesting division, and obviously the the Cavs are going to be one of the most interesting teams to watch as the defending champions. The Bulls are going to be more interesting to watch from a sense of like, is this crazy hashtag three alphas experiment going to work, or is it all going to blow up in their faces yeah. by December? I have one last question for you about the Cavs that i just been asking everybody, sure. and uh, I think... What's that? If you had to pick one team in the East that would be most likely to beat the Cavs, who would it be? I mean, okay, so two, so so is this based on what the current? Oh, that's interesting. I, take this wherever you want. Because I feel like, because I feel, because I feel like the answer is probably I agree. Boston, just because, like, as as currently constructed, I don't think the Celtics can beat the Cavs in a series. But the Celtics also, out of all the teams that could compete with the Cavs in the East, they're the one that has the pieces to get a deal done to get a second guy whether that's you know i don't think the bulls are going to trade jimmy after what they did this uh, offseason bringing in rondo and wade but if you know if they decide to trade jimmy butler or if the pacers implode and decide to trade paul george or whoever the next guy is that's going to be available the celtics have a lot of assets to get it done so if they get what some other frontline guy like that and pair them with like al horford or isaiah thomas and whoever else they still have after the trade then you're looking at a team that might be able to compete with the Cavs. But as presently constructed, I don't think anybody's going to. I'd agree to with that. And I think the other thing about the Celtics that I like and it makes me put them above Toronto is that they have guys that could just throw at LeBron and Kyrie and make them work. I mean, LeBron and Kyrie are going to score. But if Kyrie has to be guarded by uh, Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley for seven games, it's gonna, hey, he's going to have to work. And, and Jay Crowder's right, going to defend Crowder. LeBron and uh, Urepko and everybody's going to defend LeBron. And, like, it's... They actually have the guys to just throw bodies at them in a way I don't think any other team in the East does. And that the Pistons can do it for LeBron, but not Kyrie. And like, oh I think yeah, the Pistons are a year away. I think they're really. I think they're going to be really good. In, like, I think they're going to be a really good regular season team that's gonna, that nobody's yeah. going to want to play in the first round. But I think it's more of like a like I think they're a year away from seriously being thought of in that real like that upper echelon of like conference finals contender. I could see them getting yeah, in the agree. second round this year, but like I, I think they're a year Yeah, away I agree with you. And I think it's just it's just I like Toronto. I'm a big Lowry guy. I think he's so fun. Uh, and they I love the bromance between Lowry and DeRozan and I just like that team, but it's just I just right. don't look at them and think after seeing them play in the playoffs that I think, "Oh, they have what it takes to be the Cavs. I think in a perfect world, Boston could. And then, like you said, it might depend on them getting another guy, whether that's you know Paul George or if it's Blake Griffin or if it's Boogie. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's be interesting to watch. This was this was a good uh, conversation. We should we should do this again before the Bulls actually play absolutely the Cavs in the regular absolutely. Season. This was fun. Remember, so follow uh, follow me on Twitter at Hyken. Follow my co-host on Twitter at Cody Westerland for Locked On Bulls. Uh, you can Chris find Westerland me on Twitter at CWM Rights. Right, and then subscribe to Locked On Bulls. Subscribe to Locked On Cavs on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, everywhere you can get podcasts. Leave us both five star reviews. Make sure you leave lots of five star reviews. Uh, and you know, we'll, we'll we'll catch you guys next. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks.
It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.